Proverbs 28, and our text is found in the verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The Proverbs generally, and certainly this proverb specifically, they are the wise sayings of a teacher who is giving instruction to his pupil that the pupil may prosper in life, that the pupil may be righteous and just and godly and know the Lord and have the blessings of heaven upon them. But more than that, it's not just a teacher to a pupil, it is a father to a son. And every father wants their sons to be godly, to be prosperous, to be blessed, to be just and good and true and righteous. And so the father is affectionately giving these proverbs to his children. But more than that, they're not just the counsels of an earthly father to an earthly son. They are the counsels of a heavenly father to his children. They are the proverbs of God to his people. The proverbs of a heavenly father to his children. What he wants for us. How we can live the best life of all. How we can prosper and receive his blessing. So God himself, our heavenly father, he wants us to enjoy his mercy, his divine blessing. And these proverbs are directions to that end. They are pointing out the path to blessing, to a good life. This then is the right path. That has been pointed out for us by our Heavenly Father. And not only are there directions to the saints, to his children, very many of them are directions to sinners. God wants sinners to benefit from these Proverbs as well and to learn therefrom. And so we're looking at this proverb, especially in chapter 28 and verse 13, in the light of that. The counsel of God to us. He that covers his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So this then is the right path that the Father is pointing out for us. The path not of covering sin, but of confessing it. Not concealing it but acknowledging it. One thing is sure whenever we look at this verse, God expects that all his children will know themselves to be sinners. He that covers his sins shall not prosper. He knows his children will sin. He knows his children will commit iniquity. For there is not a just and righteous man on the earth who doeth good and sinneth not. Even his children sin. And so God knows this. But he says, he that covers them won't prosper. But if they're confessed and forsaken, the mercy of the Lord shall be obtained. Every one of us as a Christian, we know that we sin. 
We know that we fail the Lord. And none of us are so foolish as to think that we have no sin. Indeed, we are always very much aware that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, as we continue ever to do to come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. So God knows he has no sinless children. He has only children who either cover their sins or who confess them and acknowledge them unto him. So it's still a problem for the people of God. Because even as the people of God, we may cover our sins, which we must never do. And if it's a problem for the people of God, it is, we are sure, an even greater problem for sinners who live in this habitual practice of covering and concealing and hiding their sins, not only from God, even from themselves. What is sin? Well, we know that sin is a transgression of the law. And as our catechism so well puts it, sin is any want, any want, however slight that want is, or however great that want is, sin is any want of conformity unto the law of God. And every sin, however small, deserves the wrath of God. So there are no insignificant sins There are no little sins. There are no small sins. Every sin deserves God's wrath. And if we offend in one point, however small and insignificant we may consider that point to be, we have been guilty of it all. So there's no such a thing as a little sin. And there's nothing like that implied or hinted at at all in this text. And there's not such a thing as a little sin in all the world. Because you know what a little sin needs? A little sin needs a little God. And our God is not a little God. He's a great God. He's infinitely holy. And a sin of any description against him is a sin against an infinite holy God. And therefore it must be a sin of great dimensions. He who has slight thoughts of sin, John Owen the Puritan said, never ever had a great sight of God. So the more we know God, the more we see something of his greatness, then the more we will appreciate how dark our sins are. And if we are not convinced by the darkness of our sins, then let us go to the cross. Because it is in the deep wounds of Jesus Christ that we see how dark sin is, even all our sins. There is a contrast in this verse. It is the contrast not between great sins and small sins. That's how people tend to think, you know, great sins and small sins, and if they're small sins, they're not so bad. But, you know, the Bible doesn't talk in those terms. It just talks about sins. Either you cover them, or you confess them, whether they're great or whether they're small, that doesn't come into the equation. What comes into the equation is what you do with them. Not the size of them, not the dimension of them. They're all sins. And so it's not the contrast of sin, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we're all guilty before the Lord. The contrast here is between what people do with them 
And so the contrast is between that group, that crowd, that people who will cover them up, who will conceal them, who will hide them, and then this other group who acknowledge them and own up to them and confess them unto God. That's the contrast that is taking place in this verse. So it has nothing to do with the degree of sin. What God has primary interest in is what becomes of any or all of our sins. That's the main thing that the gospel is interested in and the word of God is interested in. So the contrast is between sins covered and sin confessed. And God wants to know to which group do we belong. The spirituality of our Christianity depends upon which group we belong. and In fact, salvation depends upon which group we do belong. Either the first or the second. So sin must not be covered. That is, we must not cover it. The verse says, he that covereth his sins. You can't cover your own sin. Sin has to be covered, as we'll see, but you can't do it yourself. That's the thing. It's not your job to cover them. It's the Lord's job to cover them. But we cannot cover them. But we have to confess them. And our sins need a divine covering. Not a human self-covering of our own handiwork. Didn't we sing there tonight in Psalm 32? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So the man is blessed who has his sin covered. That's not a contradiction to this. But that is telling us that there is a covering, and it's God who gives that covering, but we must not dare to cover it ourselves. No. So let us see then, first of all, how man in this first group deals with his sins. He covers it. It's a vain effort, but he tries to cover it from God, and he tries to cover it from himself even, and to self-deceive. How do men do this? They might, for example, deny it's sin. They might say, oh, that's not sin. Homosexuality is not sin. That's just, you know, that's just loving somebody. You know, and they put a positive slant on it, and they try to make it as if it's, as if it's nice and just and rosy and righteous. Uh, such an ungodly world we live in that there are such sinners that they'll even call sin good and sin righteous. And so that's a way of covering it, isn't it? By saying it's, it's righteous, it's not sin, by covering it with this, this deceit, with this covering of lies and falsehood that the devil's very ready to give men, whereby they can cover it up. But we can't cover it by deceit and by lies. The word of God puts all, pulls all those coverings away, and we see what sin is in the light of his holy word. So that's one way, perhaps, uh, that men do it. Perhaps another way is to blame somebody else for it. Oh, he made me do it. Oh, it was those circumstances and those people, and they inclined me towards that, and it's all their fault, really. And so you can pass it on and give someone else the blame of it. And it may be indeed true that others may be involved in our sins, but no one can make us sin. We sin ourselves. Now you remember Adam, he blamed Eve, didn't he? 
He says to the woman, he even seemed to blame the Lord. He says, the woman you give me, this woman that you created to be with me, to be my helpmate, she's the one who, who gave it to me, you see, Lord. As if to say it's her fault and it's your fault. Adam's kind of blaming God, isn't he? And he's blaming his spouse. And there's plenty of people that will go down that avenue as well who, who blame others. And you'll remember that Adam and Eve, that they, they got the covering of the leaves and they sewed the garments of leaves together and they tried to make this covering to conceal it all. And this is what God is talking about. He that covers, he that makes a garment of leaves that will just blow away in the wind of divine judgment and won't cover anything at all. And another thing is to pass the blame onto others for what he's about to do. You remember Pontius Pilate? He didn't like what he had to do to Jesus. He wanted to blame the people. They put him under pressure. He wanted to please them. But he wanted his sin covered. He wanted his conscience dealt with. And so what did he do? He made this whole great display. He got a, a basin of water and he got some soap and he washed his hands. Oh, it's a great ceremony. A great covering ceremony. I'm about to crucify Jesus, but this will cover it all up. It's not my fault. I'm clean. My hands are clean. It's your fault. You're not washing your hands in this basin, you people. It's me. As if that would deal with it. As if that would cover it up. But it can't wash away sin. Not No matter how great the ceremony, no matter how great the ritual is, it can't take away guilt. Can't deal with the uncleanness. And so saying I'm innocent, saying I'm just, saying that the water will deal with it, is a lie. It's a deceit. It's a false covering. And another way that people cover is just to deny it. To lie. To hide themselves away from it. And to hide the sin that they committed from their memory. And just to say, it wasn't me, or I didn't do it, or it's in the past. So far away, I've forgotten about it. You remember how God came to Abel? Where's Abel, thy brother? I know not. Don't know anything about him. He lied. He tried to cover it up from God. He tried to make Abel to be buried and hid away from God. I don't know. I don't know where he is. How would I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? And so there's this covering of, of deceit and lie. Remember Joseph's brethren? How they deceived their father, Jacob. They brought his garment covered in blood and all the rest covered up the crime, covered up the, the deed of sending their brother away into slavery. And the poor old man, he thought he was dead, his son. And that was the end of that, they thought. It's all covered up. It's all dealt with now. It'll soon be forgotten. It'll never raise its head again. And of course, we saw that it did. They didn't prosper. It did raise its head again. And they did have to face the situation again. You can't cover it. You can't cover it like that. That's not the way to deal with sin. It won't prosper. It won't work. By denying it, by forgetting it, by letting it fade from the memory with time, and it won't be covered by being compensated for with good deeds. Oh, there are some people who, who will sin and do wrong and know that they've done wrong and go through a course of having to do right, to balance the thing up and to compensate for it, and to, as if that will cover it up. That's just like sewing fig leaves together, isn't it? 
putting on a garment, knitting a garment, doing these good works, prayers, and more church attendance, and some good deeds, and more money to charity. And by all these means, men hope somehow to balance the books and establish some kind of thing in their favor, and the whole matter is, is dealt with and covered up, and it'll never, it'll never be revealed. It'll never have to be faced. It'll never have to be answered for. All these deeds will have dealt with it. But no, that's not the covering. That doesn't compass it. Sin must be answered for. Sin must be atoned for. Sin must be dealt with. And so all of these things are wrong. And none of these things deal with guilt. None of these things are the answer. No matter how much man in his ingenuity finds ways of dealing with it. And, and there are all kinds of other things as well. It's amazing how men and women will get themselves out of this matter of having to acknowledge it was sin. And I did wrong. And I'm the problem. Just to own up. It's so hard to get sinners to do that. And at times... It can even be very difficult to get Christians to do it. God's people, when they go astray, when they, when they do wrong, they get proud and they can kick up a fuss and they can deny it wasn't sin at all. And, you know, and even look to be great defenders of, of, of righteousness and faith. Uh, and all the while they've done things that are terrible in, in that regard. And so we have to be very careful, brethren and sisters, as a people of God. And sinners have to be very careful too that they come to this place of confession and acknowledgement unto God. That's the first thing. The false covering. How men create this covering. He that covers his sins. There are those that do it. And we've just touched on how some of them go about it. But let us notice secondly that the word of God is clear However, they may cover their sins, it won't prosper. It won't be successful. It won't be the answer. It won't deal with the sin. It won't remove the sin. And in time, that covering will just blow away and the sinner will be exposed to the judgment of God. It won't prosper. And the sinner has to know this. And the child who goes astray has to know that you may cover up sin from your parents, but you won't prosper. Better to acknowledge it and come into the open about it and get it dealt with and you'll be forgiven and all the rest. But you have to be honest with God. You have to be honest with the Heavenly Father, with our Lord in Heaven, or we won't prosper. Well, how will the sinner not prosper? even though he makes so many efforts to cover his sin, well, why can it be seen that he doesn't prosper? Well, he doesn't prosper because it doesn't bring him peace. It doesn't deal with the conscience. It's not really dealt with, and he knows it too, inside in his heart. He knows there's still a sense of guilt, still a sense of, oh, I'll have to answer for that. I'll be accountable for that. He knows. The sinner knows that there's no prosperity to his mind and memory about the matter. There's no prosperity to his conscience at all. No. His bones within him begin to be eaten and consumed. 
He begins to be consumed inside. What did David say? Didn't we sing it? When I kept silence, he said. When I didn't acknowledge it. When I didn't confess it. When I hid this matter about Bathsheba for that long period of time, he says, Oh, my bones, they waxed old. I became like an old man inside me, he says. And my roaring all day long, the roaring of his conscience, roaring within him, he's not keeping it down, he's not keeping it quiet at all, he's not keeping his conscience still at all. No, it's roaring out all day long, he says. This covering up business, it doesn't work. It consumes me within, it eats me up within. Day and night, he says, your hand's heavy upon me. And my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I'm consumed. I'm burned up. I'm not blessed. I'm not alive. I'm not quickened. I'm not revived. I'm not refreshed. I'm dead. And I'm hard. And I'm barren. Because you haven't acknowledged your sin. You haven't confessed it unto God. You won't prosper. And so that's true. You won't prosper. You don't prosper either because, as I say, God still sees it. He laughs at that. As if he can't see through a covering. As if somehow, because the sinner has done something or other, that God is blinded to it. You can't blind God. He still sees it. He sees in the dark as much as in the light. He sees through walls. He sees through buildings. He sees through to the very center of the earth. And he can see through any covering over sin. Any man would ever dare to fabricate and create, he says. Mine eyes are upon their ways, the Lord says. They're not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. The sin of Judah, he says, no matter how much they hide it, no matter how much they conceal it, no matter how much they deny it, he says the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with the point of a diamond. It's graven upon the table of their heart. That's what sin does. It makes an engraving on your heart. It digs deep into your heart, and it leaves a mark. And that mark can't be removed from the sight of God. He sees it. He sees it still, because sin is so sharp. Sin is so cutting into the heart and the fabric of the human soul, that God sees the damage, God sees the harm that has been wrought. He says it's all visible to him. The psalmist said, Thou hast set our iniquities before you. The right in your presence, Lord, our secret sins, the ones that are concealed, we thought, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. We have to remember this, men and women. We do. And we must never think, oh, you know, well, those are just thoughts in my mind. That's just envy. Or that's just a lustful thought. That doesn't do anybody any harm. God sees it. And it all has to be acknowledged unto him. Everything has to be confessed. And so we won't prosper because God sees him anyway. It just doesn't work. It's in the fullness of noonday light to him, no matter what. And as well as that, especially this, in the judgment day. Sinners will find then, though it will be too late, that they haven't prospered. 
all those sins they thought that they covered, that they, you know, give money away to charity for, to deal with, or they went to church a hundred times to deal with, the judgment day comes. And what does the Bible say? There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. And there's nothing hid that shall not be known. It'll all come out into the open. It'll all be revealed as the judgment day wind of God comes blowing and all the coverings go flying away off into space. And there it is. Everything's revealed. Everything's seen in the light of the judgment of a holy God. The sinner hasn't prospered because it all comes before God as it will. Your sins will come before God if you cover them, congregation. That's what we're saying. There's a way to deal with them. And denying them and covering is not the way. And they'll not prosper in life. They'll not prosper in death. Because very often they'll have a resurrection just as you're about to die. And you'll even see them all yourself. No. They'll not prosper in death. And they'll not prosper in eternity either. No, there's no prosperity in covering up, no hope, no blessing, no mercy in deceitfully dealing with our sin rather than in the right way that we ought to deal with them, which we'll go on to in in a moment. So covered up sin, self-covered up sin has a resurrection. Let's not forget that. False ways of covering sin the danger of covering sins in those false ways, then thirdly, the right way to deal with them. And we come to the other part of the proverb, but whoso, this is any of you, whosoever will, anybody, doesn't matter how dark your sins are, doesn't matter how great they may have been, whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have Mercy. So there is covering, but the covering is not a self-covering. It is in the uncovering of them and in the confessing them unto God that the door of mercy is opened. God's mercy. And God's mercy comes out. And marvelously and miraculously in the grace of God, that mercy provides the covering. God's covering, heaven's covering, mercy's covering in and through Jesus Christ. So God must provide the covering for sin. You see, sin does need covered. We've not denied that. You just can't cover it yourself. But it does need covered. Yes, it does. And God provides a covering for his people. And those people are those that he has in his son Christ. The marvelous Savior. Who by his life and death and his resurrection. Provides for us the covering that we need. The covering of himself. The covering of his blood. The covering of his sufferings and his cross work. His garments of salvation that cover us. There is a covering. And there is mercy, but there must be confession. And so the psalmist said, Lord, you've forgiven the iniquity of your people. 
Thou hast covered all. Yes, all, every sin. Thou hast covered all their sin. Every one of their sins, thou hast covered them all. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Didn't we sing, blessed is he whose sin is covered. Covered by God. Covered by the blood. You remember the mercy seat? It's called the covering. The law of God inside. Wanting to burst out against sinners. But this covering. That is sprinkled with blood thereupon. The covering. God provides a covering. And that covering is Jesus Christ. His person, his work. Our dear Savior that we are united to in faith. Covering is provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the road to the covering is the road of confession and the road of forsaking sin. Because it says, Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy, shall be on the road to covering. The covering will come flying upon them into their life if they but confess and forsake. Like the publican who was very quick to confess and acknowledge his sin, beating upon his own heart, not beating on somebody else's heart, like that righteous Pharisee up there, beating on the publican's heart, and thanking God that he wasn't like other men. He's covered his sins. He's buried them away deep. But that poor man at the back, that publican, he says, Lord, they're in here. Every one of them is here. I just acknowledge it. I'm the sinner. Lord, open the doors of mercy to me. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He went home covered. He went home justified, the Bible says. There came a covering upon him whereby he, he didn't appear in the sight of God as if he had sinned at all. He'd been justified freely by God's grace in the covering. In the covering. And the way to that was confession. God be merciful to me. Me, the sinner. As if he's the only sinner in the place. The definite article is therein contained. Me, the sinner, the only one in this house. That's how he felt. And that was frank and an open acknowledgement unto God. And that's the path to mercy. So this covering is received by confessing sins. And just acknowledging them unto God. Say, yes, Lord, that's right. That thought was there. Yes, that was wrong. Forgive me. Have mercy upon me. Cleanse me. Be merciful to me. So there has to be this confession. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is the path that commences a Christian life. This is how one becomes a Christian. How one begins a Christian life. And it's also the path how the Christian continues on. For if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves but if we acknowledge them and confess them, we shall have forgiveness. And the blood of Christ will go on washing us and cleansing us. So it's always a path we have to continue on all our life. 
confessing, repenting every time that we sin until we at last get into the state of glorification through the grace of God and all the sin in its internal aspect in us is gone. What a marvelous day that will be when it's all gone and there's no battle with it anymore and there's no having to confess it anymore. But until that day, we have to go on confessing, repenting, and forsaking our sins. He looketh upon men. This is God. And if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going down into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Do you know where you're going, sinner? You're going to the darkness. You're going to the pit. It's an awful way to die. To die and to go into the pit and into the darkness. Into the Hades. Without Christ and without God and without the covering of your sins. And so if he says I have sinned and I've perverted that which is right. And it hasn't profited me at all. I'm a bankrupt sinner who's just broke and I need your mercy. He will deliver his soul. His soul. From going down to the pit. That's an Old Testament man said that. It hasn't changed today. It's still true. If we confess he'll forgive us. And so we read Psalm 51 did we not? How the psalmist dealt with this business about Bathsheba. How at last he got before God. And he says I acknowledge my sin. Against you, you only have I sinned, Lord. Have mercy upon me. Blot out my transgressions. Forgive me. Wash me thoroughly, right down to the center of my heart. Into the inner chambers, Lord. At the very source of the origin of the sin. Give me a deep cleansing. Wash me thoroughly. Wash me, Lord, with your blood. And cleanse me and forgive me. The poor sinner. Blot out my transgressions. I was just shaping in iniquity. I've been a sinner from I was conceived in the womb. Oh Lord, forgive me. That's frank acknowledgement, isn't it? Unto God. Not unto a priest. Not unto a man. Not unto every Tom, Dick and Harry around the street. But unto God. Who alone forgiveth our sins. Remember how God said to Jeremiah. Go and proclaim these words, Jeremiah. Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, and I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. Acknowledge that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. Only acknowledge, and I'll be merciful to you. And so we have to confess our sins but you'll notice that it's not just confession. The confession must be sincere. It must not be hypocritical confession. It must not just be words merely. It must be a true confession. And true confession is seen in the forsaking of the sin. And so he confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You see, sincere forsaking of them is essential as well, congregation. 
As I said, forsaking is the proof of the confession's truth and the only way to mercy. Not, not forsaking is really hypocritical, isn't it? Hypocritical confession. Hypocrites confess without forsaking. Hypocrites talk without doing. But we must leave our sins. We must turn from them and we must seek increasing grace to sincerely battle them and overcome them, though at times they may still overcome us. But nevertheless, we must endeavor. We must be sincere. We must be true before God and we must cry unto him for the grace that forgives us, but also the grace that reinforces us and sanctifies us against those sins in the future. And so this is a powerful verse for us as the people of God. If we want to go on with the Lord, if we want to prosper in the Christian life, if we want to be blessed and refreshed and revived and know something of the blessings of God and the mercy of God in our life and in our home and on our church, this is the path to it. The path just of humble confession. That's all God requires. Just a frank acknowledgement. After all, what else can you do? You can't take away all the sin and all the darkness of it and all the stain of it. Only God can. And all we can do is say, Lord, forgive me. And he's faithful and just to do it too. He wants to do it. He's gracious. He wants his people in a right relationship with him. He wants his people to be close to him. He wants his people to be near to him. He wants his people to be humble and tender-hearted, to be melted and broken and regretful and appreciating his grace. He's so good. He's so gracious. Just say sorry. And he forgives us. Bless and praise his holy name that he has given us such a saviour in his son Jesus Christ to whom be all glory. Amen.